I'm Shelley. And I'm Cam. And this is Translating ADHD. Real quick, our two group coaching offerings that are coming up are Resilience, which begins Wednesday, June 22nd, and Equanimity with Cam Only, which begins Tuesday, July 12th. Information, pricing, and how to apply are all available on the website, translatingadhd.com, and click on the group coaching tab. So Cam, what's on your mind for us today? So Shelly, we've opened up a whole bunch of things in the last couple of weeks. And I think the one big one is orienting to our full experience or full impact of our lives, including ADHD, and that how ADHD can throw a roadblock right? That first barrier of ADHD is awareness, getting to a place where we can see what is actually going on. Again, two weeks ago, we had your brilliant client scenario where she had to learn to trust her brain. And we talked about what she did in that situation. We did a deeper dive of that last week of orienting to the full impact of our experience, our lived experience. So we're going to continue in that vein. And I think there's something we're going to dig into around distinguishing emotion from story that we uncovered last week. But we're going to take a little side trip today, just for a moment. Just step off to a side road that's really relevant here. And that has to do with, all right, ready people? Maybe triggering. So prepare yourselves. Mindfulness. But before you hang up the phone, before you hit that pause button, on your podcast player. This is about mindfulness on your own terms. I think that mindfulness, like any other program, can fall into that prescriptive approach. This is the way you do it, right? This is this lunch counter. It's a lunch counter phenomenon of, here, do this. This works for ADHD. It's effective. And this is the way you do it. And every single Meditation or mindfulness app often starts with, well, find a quiet place, sit down, right? With the intention of sitting and being still and focusing on your breath. I think that's an immediate turnoff for many people with ADHD, especially the fast brain. The fast brain is like, are you kidding me? You know, it's not the waterfall, it's a tornado. It is this black hole vortex. And you want me to sit next to this thing? And be still. So today, what we're going to do is, again, this orienting to and developing more awareness, a mindfulness practice that I subscribe to. And we're going to tell you a little bit about that today, Shelly. How's that sound? Cam, this sounds great. And what I'm appreciating about this topic is what you and I have been noticing is mindfulness can manifest very differently for each one of our clients and for you and I in terms of what works. And I used to dismiss mindfulness outright. I put it sort of in the same bucket as like toxic positivity, right? I'm not a person who can easily sit still, as you well know, as you watch me playing with my fidget while we're recording this show. And traditional meditation or mindfulness practices have never served me well. But that doesn't mean I'm not practicing those things. Yeah. And I think that it started back for me, I think I've told this story before of, again, turning things so they work for me on my own terms. And there was the one about like getting in shape. 
And getting in shape meant running for 40 minutes or riding a bike for two hours. And it was hard to make that happen in these 20 to 25 minute increments in my day. But when I switched that to recover my brain chemistry, to kind of hit the reset button and go out for 20 minutes of a brisk walk or run or a 30 minute bike ride, I live on a hill. So I'll just drop down in some trails, come back up. And so, sort of defining how it can work for us. When I think about when these mindfulness teachers talk, they emphasize two things. They emphasize curiosity and curiosity in the moment, right? It's about being present. It's about being curious. So that's what I focus on and not about doing it all the time, right? There's an assumption in a lot of these apps, whether it's 10% happier or uh, Headspace, anything else, this assumption that there's nothing going on at this cognitive level, right? Around this executive functioning piece, assuming you can sit and be still and focus. And so again, taking liberty with this to really think about, can I introduce um, a little bit of curiosity and a little bit of presence or present moment in my day? So we'll talk a little bit about why that's hard, but also why it's beneficial. So last week, I think you joked about like how, you know, either you said yourself or both of us struggle with mindfulness. When I think about you, I think of you as a pretty good mindfulness practitioner. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, I do. Tell me more, Kim. Yeah, because of your ability to be present and be curious, right? So I've listened to Shelly coach a lot in mentoring, but also in the group coaching that we do through translating ADHD. And you demonstrate curiosity and what used to be called coaching presence. Now it's called maintaining presence. And you do that and you do it very well. And so that's mindfulness. That is being able to hold our attention in this current moment and to access this curiosity channel. So why is it hard? Why is mindfulness hard? Right There's the obvious reasons in the sense of we've got all this fast brain, big brain thinking and feeling. There's a lot of activity in there. So it can be hard to sit still. But think about it, getting to the present moment. If we just look at those two things, presence and curiosity. So first of all, getting present is probably one of the tougher things to do for us. Because why? We are time travelers. We are catastrophizing into the future. We are going back into our past with regret and guilt. And time for us is very fluid. And we are moving into the past and into the future. And I like to say the present is often this two-dimensional bead curtain that we pass through very quickly. And Cam, this is where traditional mindfulness practices and ADHD tend to not mix well. This idea of just sit still and get present. If we were capable of doing that on a consistent basis, that would solve a lot of ADHD dilemmas. And so I just want to interject here some of the creative ways that I've discovered with my clients and with myself that we get present. And there's so much here. You've already mentioned running. That's a big one. And each of my clients for whom running is a mindfulness activity has a slightly different relationship with that. 
For one, so long as I get my heart pumping, running or anything else, great. For another, there's a mind-body connection that only running can scratch the itch for. Only running will get her there. For another, it's as much about the playlist that she has on as it is the run itself. It's setting a mood. But let's look outside of running. I've talked about my tarot practices before. That's a mindfulness practice for me. That's a way for me to sit down and get curious by adding a little context. A long time ago, we talked about a client of mine who discovered this self-care practice of hiking and how important that was for her. And here's the thing is mindfulness and self-care go hand in hand, meaning for myself and my clients, oftentimes, not always, the same activities that sort of fill that tank, that refuel, that give us energy to give to other things are also the ones that help anchor us in presence and mindfulness. I love those examples. And I love the tarot cards because, as you said, that framework or context to orient us to is if we have a little framework to get present can be helpful. It's an area of interest. It's engaging. Kind of like there's rules of engagement, if you will, right? That's why I think that board games or playing any kind of athletic games, people can get really present. This is getting in the zone, getting super present. A big part of mindfulness is noticing our senses, right? So there are fans out there of weighted blankets. The weighted blanket works because it provides pressure on your body. And that pressure sends a signal to your nervous system and specifically the amygdala saying, all clear, you're good, right? So if you actually stand in a doorway and press your hands and create pressure for 10 seconds, it sends a signal. This is the way I get present is by pressing my hands on the doorway just for 10 seconds, just to get present with that feeling, that sensation. So when I go walking and I'm listening to my app and they're telling me to sit still, but I'm walking with my dogs and I'm being present with my walk, I'm paying attention to the pressure on my feet as I'm padding down the hill. The feeling in my joints, my muscles, my neck, tuning in to these sensations, whether it's touch, whether it's smell, sight, these are little exercises you can do. Just if you go ahead and, and your friend who goes hiking, right? It's all those distractions have gone away for a moment, including the phone. And you can just tune in to your surroundings. There's all kinds of ways that we can get present. And so the funny thing here is that when you do that and you quiet down that amygdala, you're quieting down that limbic system, right? That fear center and heightened vigilance. That's the other part that when we get present, it allows us to open a door to curiosity. It's really hard to be curious when you are in that arc pony right? Adrenaline response cycle, hyper-focused, vigilant, in a state of consequence-based motivation. What is going to bite me in the butt? And just in that Q1 urgent mode of work. But if you can relax a little bit and just quiet down that part of the brain, then this 
quieter, more nuanced, smaller signal, right? The big signal is in the fear center. The big signal is in the vigilant area, the amygdala. But this more nuanced signal is in this curiosity aspect. And so curiosity, you know what that is? That's one of your favorite terms, right? Detaching from outcome. When we attach to outcome, we're going to some future outcome and we are judging, right? Detaching from outcome is letting go. That's the interesting thing that can happen. And I think that, again, back to the big vortex or idea generator or the volcano of thoughts, feelings, and emotions, we feel like we have to step right into it. No, view it from a distance, right? That to create some distance here, you don't have to jump into the deep end. It's to really notice this thing. Volcanologists study volcanoes, but they're not right in the middle of the vent. They're viewing it from a safe distance, right? They're measuring, they're gathering data. And so this is something you can do too, is as you get present, as you get curious, your thoughts and feelings can be scary. We've already mentioned that everybody doesn't like to be with their thoughts and feelings. They just don't like it. They'd rather get a shock than be with their thoughts and feelings. It's a study out of Virginia. So you can do these small samples or do it with a friend. Cam, I think it's relevant here to call back to a model that we introduced on the podcast and that we've been really using heavily and kind of modeling our coaching classes after. And that's pause, disrupt, pivot. The idea that when we're going into the valley or into our limbic brain that we can pause, notice and name what's happening. And then once we're able to do that, in that critical moment, there is an opportunity to disrupt, to have a different experience. And what you were just talking about there in terms of using these mindfulness practices as a way to disrupt is one great practice or one great way to employ whatever it is that works for you. My client who hikes, she needed a disrupt. That's what that coaching session was about. She thought it was about overwhelm. She thought it was about sorting out her to-do list. And if you recall, she said, my brain's not accessible to me in a useful way. And I asked her what that meant. That was the whole coaching session ended up being centered on that statement, which got us to, I need to go be in nature and hike. And guess what? She went out, she got in nature, she hiked, and then she sorted out her to-do list because she was able to shift out of that limbic system brain and back into having her brain and her language accessible to her in a useful way. My clients who run tend to use that as a practice. I even use tarot that way. If I'm feeling frazzled or frantic about something, I'll sit down and shuffle my deck, right? That's a sensation, the shuffling of the cards, feeling them in my hand, and I'll pull a couple of cards. Not because I'm expecting them to give me the answer, but because adding a little context to the mix helps bring me back to curiosity. Whatever it is that's got me in the limbic, contextualizing that with some tarot cards can bring me back to that curious place. You know, and all this goes back to what we lit upon two episodes ago around trusting your brain. 
right? That this is a process to, again, pause, disrupt, get curious in this current moment to create some awareness so that we can see what's going on, so that we can develop some trust in our own brain, in our own decision-making. I can't tell you how many times I've heard this quote. And it's, again, the gap or the space between stimulus and response. And meditation, mindfulness individuals talk about this place, the place between stimulus and our response to that stimulus. So Victor says, that's a place where there's power because we have an opportunity to create a pause and make an informed choice. And for us, those of us with ADHD, it can be really hard to create some space between that incoming and the response that we have with emotional dysregulation. And so part of it is if you're not successful the first time, if you actually reflect on the experience, that works too. And so this weekend, Shelly, Saturday morning, I'd love to say that I had a mindful practice in place. And Saturday mornings, it is like a really vulnerable place for my wife. And I think that we just gotten through our week and we're both at a deficit. And our default moods are I go to kind of sensitive flaky. Yeah, sensitive flaky. I would say that's accurate. And she goes to, you know, a little irritable because she's sort of following around three neurodivergence all week. And she's like, oh man. And so Saturday's this really interesting time just in the morning. And I'm thinking, I really want to break just from everything, from efforting, from adulting, from executive functioning. Like every day I'm like trying to line up my ducks and make things happen all through the week. And I'm looking for a little break, but I'm depleted and she's depleted. And she's looking at the list and like, oh, Saturday, it's time to do stuff around the house. And we've already had these, you know, discussions and how Saturday morning needs to be a kind of a break time. We've done that, right? I mean, we all slip and we slip this weekend. And so <laughs> my, my child, she's like, Both of you are so childish. (laughs) And it was. It was sort of like that movie. I think it was like adults acting like children. I can't remember. Julianne Moore was in it. And we were kind of like throwing a little bit of a tantrum, both of us. And so, you know, it was regretful. And I wish that the practice that I've been practicing for a year and doing pretty well at served me in that moment, right? In that space between the stimulus and the response that I was able to pause, breathe, say, you know what? I don't have to engage the way I'm engaging right now. I can just step back. We can step back. It didn't happen. But we did a postmortem on it, right? The important thing is we come back around and check in. What happened? This is lunch counter in the sense of going to causation. What was the causation? What was the setup there that had us come and engage in this way that doesn't work, right? We're amazing together. We complement each other. It's just this one moment. Again, what we did, we got curious and we got present to the learning and had some understanding and appreciated and had empathy for each other and moved on. And so it's not something, again, I think with mindfulness is like, oh, I got to do it in this moment. No, you can actually do it while you reflect on something that didn't work. 
again, Cam, when we talk about pause, disrupt, pivot, we talk about that pause being the starting place. Well, guess what? If you do that postmortem, if you get the learning from a situation like that after it's happened, you're going to be all the more equipped to catch it in the moment or nearer to the moment next time. And this is so much of the work we do with our clients is first noticing the patterns and noticing them sort of in retrospect, in hindsight, but getting really curious about what's going on there, what's happening, what is that for this client? What is their experience there? What language can they give to that? What can they call it or name it so that they can recognize it more quickly the next time it happens? And even when we do get to the point that those pauses are happening pretty consistently at the critical moment, creating space for that disrupt and pivot, that doesn't mean that there's not going to come a time where they're not able to do that, just as you weren't this Saturday. And that's, you know, when we talk about consistency, if there's one thing that we're trying to do with every client we work with, it's cultivating consistency. But consistency does not mean 100%. You and your wife are able to have that blow up and come back and talk about it because of the other 98% of the time that you're able to pause, disrupt, pivot in the moment, that you're able to have a different experience, that you're able to build on that foundation that you've been building in the work that you've done for yourself and together all of these years. Might be more like 93%. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was trying to give you the benefit of the doubt. I know, that was nice. (laughs) Well, again, the consistency in practice is you're working a muscle there as you look back, right? Retrospectively, and then applying forward, prospective, right? Remember, prospective memory is really challenging for us, that anticipating what may happen in future time. So if you like what we're doing here on the show, three big ways you can help us out. The first is to leave a review wherever you listen. The second is to not keep us a secret, share us with others. And the final is to support us financially by becoming a patron, which gives you access to our Discord community and contributes to covering all of the costs associated with running this show. To become a patron, visit the website translatingadhd.com. Click on the Patreon link in the upper right-hand corner. So until next week, I'm Shelly. I'm Cam. And this was the Translating ADHD Podcast. Thanks for listening. 